welcome to Language Chats. This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond where we share our enjoyment and experiences of language learning with you. I'm Penny. And I'm Beck. And today we are taking on um, a little bit of a topic that we started in our last episode, in um, episode 24 of Language Chats. Um, We started talking about something that we like to describe as the language learning landscape in Australia. Um, What does it look like learning languages in Australia these days? And it's a huge topic, which we realised as soon as we started talking about it. (laughs) Um, So this is... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so we've basically broken broken it down into a few topics that we're going to cover over a series of episodes. Um, our last episode, uh, the first one on this, was about our general observations of learning languages in Australia and what we've found. Um, and today we're going to be talking a little bit more about, so specifically adult independent learners um, and how the language learning landscape has changed in Australia for adults if you decide to learn a language and basically what's available to you these days because I think we can fairly safely say that if you had been an adult learning a second language or learning another language um, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, the things that were available to you then are well, the things that are available to you now are very different to what were available to you then. <laughs> Do you agree, Penny? Oh, it's a complete, oh, it's a complete one hundred and eighty. And I think this is why when we started to think about this topic, I mean, we could just go off in you know tangents everywhere, couldn't we? Because language learning has just changed so much. Um, I think we referenced in the last episode the national policy on languages that we found that was written in the nineteen eighties. And that happened to be when the decade that I was starting primary school. And um, and you think back to the 80s and the 90s and even the early 2000s when a lot of us were in formal education. We just didn't have access to, I mean, not even the internet, definitely not smartphones and apps and all these kind of platforms which makes language learning and connecting with other language learners, just so easy now. That's right. It's so much more accessible and there is so much that you can access, you can access online that you can access that is, you know, maybe, well, it may be paid or it may be free. There's lots of free resources out there too, um, I guess, to varying levels of uh, usefulness maybe to to, to every different student. <laughs> um, but it certainly has like even when when I was finishing school in sort of the late noughties is that what we call that decade now (laughs) the late noughties um even when I was finishing school some of that stuff was only really just starting to come about um and so it you know I feel like it's just opened up in the last decade how much we can find um but it also does mean that there is an overwhelming amount of stuff to find um which can make the choices uh, kind of tricky sometimes because there's a lot out there. For sure. And I reckon back to, um, I reckon if we asked the regular person on the street, did you know that you could learn Chinese or you could learn French um, using apps or online tools, a lot of it for free, do you think the average person would just go, oh, well, I didn't realise that because it's it almost feels like a whole different world? I, yeah, I think that would, yeah, for sure. I I really do think that a lot of people 
would not have any idea about some of the some of the stuff that is available to them online unless they've already used some of it or they've gone very much out of their way to go looking for um, for resources already. I was just going to say I think a lot of that comes back to how we all started off learning languages in a school environment too and we just have that kind of narrow view of well to learn this language, we need to be in a classroom with this particular teacher speaking this particular language to us. Um, and that probably stays with people as they get older and start doing different things and might not realise that there is this whole new world out there for language learning. Exactly. And, I mean, for so long it really was like that. I mean, the only way, you know, the only way, I mean, there were, there were, I guess, a few options for how you might have been able to learn a language in the past before, like pre-internet and, and pre-having all sorts of information available basically at your fingertips just about anywhere as long as you've got a connection, um, you know, you pretty much had to enrol in a class somewhere. You know, I suppose there are options yeah. for where you could enrol in a class, but you pretty much had to have a class or at least a teacher at your disposal. So maybe some kind of, you know, private tutoring even. Um, but then short of doing that, uh, I'm sure there would have been language books available at probably your local library. Or ones that you could purchase, um, even audio style um, courses were, you know, probably something yeah. else that they was available. Big, yeah, exactly. It seems very eighties. Yeah, was like, 80s? I guess like listening I feel like to yeah, when cars had like cassette uh, players <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> exactly, blast a blast from the past. But yeah, so there were. Have you ever seen a tape back? <laughs> I did, never I did seen grow them. up with cassette tapes. I'm not, I'm not that young. <laughs> but there were, there were pretty limited options still um, in the, the resources um, or at least the available methods um, to learn a language. If you were living in somewhere, if you were living in Australia and you didn't have, um, you know, you weren't in country, I suppose, the, the available resources yeah, to yeah. you were, were somewhat limited. Um, whereas now that has absolutely changed. So along these lines and something else that I've been thinking about this week particularly as well, do you think, you know, in the sense that our approach to language learning as adult independent learners has changed and is changing, that therefore our motivation to learn languages has also changed over this period of time as well? Because so I was just thinking about how so much, um, I guess, popular culture and, and media um, and even, the, you know, the huge uptake in travel um, over the last decade or two, do you think that has also been a big motivator in, in, in adults wanting to learn another yeah, language? Definitely. I think, I think you're, you're on the money. Um, I think there were always people who were interested as adults in learning other languages because of travel potential, um, you know, or because of family reasons or maybe a relationship or, um, you know, a, a good friend who spoke another language. Like I think, I think that, was, that was always there. I think food is also a big part of it, food and culture. When people start getting yeah. interested yeah. In, in the food or the cultural aspects of a particular place um, and that can really motivate people to, to learn a language as an adult. But I do think that probably a lot of people in the past, you're right, like less people may have seen um, the, you know, the sort of food and cultural aspects. Like that's, we have so much more exposure to two other 
cultures and all of the all of the things that make them up, including food, these days. Um, but the internet has also allowed us to explore the world in all kinds of ways, both like visually because we can see so much more on the internet, um, but also just in terms of getting more information. If we want to find out more, we can find out more. Um, and in the past, I guess that used to be harder. So um, I think it's, yeah, there's probably been an, a definite increase in people's interest because there's more information available to them to to discover. Um, but then in addition to that, it's like if you were you know, in the past, if you had been like, oh, it might be interesting to learn that language, you may have gotten stuck at a point where you were like, ah, only these few options are available to me to learn that language and maybe I can't afford it or maybe it's just too hard or my local library doesn't have information in that language to help me learn and so then that would kind of stop you in your tracks. Whereas now um, that is much less of a problem because there is so much more available on the internet. Yeah, for sure. And and just as you were talking, it made me think about, I guess, language learners more recently as well, who are drawn to or want to or need to, for a reason, learn perhaps a lesser studied language and or a lesser spoken language. And now, you know, having all these tools at their fingertips to learn a language, which, you know, 20, 30 years might not even have been considered as a, a mainstream language to teach. Um, which I think, you know, is definitely a positive for language learners and language speakers of those languages. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm just thinking, you know, something, you know, you know, for instance, me learning Vietnamese or, or people learning Thai or um, some of the European languages that it, um I was going to say Portuguese, but I mean, that's not such a great example because it's spoken by so many people in the world. Mm. Um, but even then, it's not a language that we teach in schools. Yes. Um, so perhaps it does fit into that category. Russian, for example. Mm. Um, so, yeah, maybe like three cheers for languages who are slightly off the <laughs> top five list of, you know, French, German, Italian Chinese, Japanese and Indonesian, something like that anyway. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think if you like for all any minority languages as well that have in the past certainly um, not been able to share as much information, now that has mm-hmm. that has changed entirely um, and can really encourage sometimes people, especially people with like maybe a heritage background in um, a minority language, um, to be able to learn because there are some resources, maybe not heaps and heaps and heaps of resources, but there are still some available online. Um, that's a really nice segue to Beck to talk about, I guess, something that we've benef- benefited from and I reckon heaps of language chat listeners and language lover members have benefited from and that is the the power and support of online communities and social media. Um in language learning, forging connections, exposing each other to um, lesson studied languages. I mean, the list kind of goes on, doesn't it? And I know, I mean, speaking for myself, when I kind of discovered this huge language community, um, you know, via Instagram or, or, you know, other platforms, just, you know, the information and the support out there is kind of endless. Yeah, that's right. And I cannot like 
I can't recommend highly enough the language learning community online. I feel like it is that is another part of the motivation that we're talking about here that, you know, it's not just anymore the, you know, you can get interested in a language because of reason X, Y, Z, um, but maintaining motivation over time um, with study is is another a whole other issue altogether, <laughs> um, and can be can be really difficult. You know, it's not easy learning a language, and so it gets hard to to keep practicing and to keep learning, even when it gets difficult and when you don't understand things and when you need help. But there is this amazing community online that is they're pretty much ready all the time to, to help motivate you and to help support you and to cheer you on in your in your tiny, your, your little wins all the time. Um, you know, I remembered a word this week, yay, and everyone's there like giving you three cheers and you're like, yeah, I, I, that actually, that was good, <laughs> even though it can feel like a very small win to you. But there are just just endless, endless um, support on the internet, which is great. And and support for specific languages too. You know, you can find people who are interested in the language that you're learning or languages that you're interested in and make sure that you're interacting with other people who have the same the same challenges, the same um, the same problems to overcome. Yeah. And I think <laughs> one of the things that is important to remember is that there are lots of stories out there. Oh, I learned Arabic in a week and <laughs> I did this interview after, you know, 20 hours of lessons, blah, 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 um, that sure there might be these amazing people out there who really can achieve that. But for the majority of us, <laughs> it doesn't quite happen that yes. easily. Um, and I think it's really nice for people to be honest about, you know, A, how much work they put in to getting to a certain level and B, the mistakes that they still make or that they are making. Or C, one of my favourites, <laughs> is when you completely fall off the wagon um, for whatever reason, you know, life interrupts language learning all the time um, and people are there going, yep, that happened to me, don't worry, you'll rediscover your love for language X, blah, 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 um, hang in there and, you know, it's – it's great to have those inspirational stories, but it's also really nice to just have that real life hit as well. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I think, and Penny, do you reckon that like people are getting more and more honest? Like I- I've definitely noticed that in the last couple of years, I feel like there's more, more and more people sharing the imperfect parts of their language learning online, which I think is is hugely like, I don't know. There's a lot of like solidarity there. <laughs> a lot of people, people yeah, realizing right. that the yeah. problems that they have are the same problems that lots of other people have. No one is perfect. Like you can love languages and still have heaps of trouble with them. Like you, do, there is just because you are interested in languages does not mean that your way of learning them is perfect. Um, and yeah, people definitely are getting more and more honest and more and more open about their their journeys with language learning um, online, especially on, I would say, especially on Instagram, um, but also on, you know, maybe on Facebook too, if you use, if you use Facebook, um, of, yeah, people just sharing their, their little mistakes and their like funny, funny moments and, um, you know, nothing, these, these aren't things that are serious or, or big, but they're, they're problems that we all have all of the time. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a lot to be said for people's honesty and letting each other, you know, be so 
exposed is not the right word. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I guess just just honest and open right. because people really relate to that and that's what people want and that's, you know, it's funny. My sister-in-law is German. She lives in Australia. She's lived here for, for ages. But um, even the other day she was getting a bit of a blast from her mother's like, have you forgotten how to speak German? You you spell this word <laughs> wrong all the time. And, and she's like, but... Mom, when I lived in Germany, I always got this word wrong anyway. It's just nothing to do with – and, you know, native speakers are always making mistakes. As we know back in, in English, we always That's make true. mistakes. And I think as language learners we forget that everyone makes mistakes anyway. So it's not such a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. But it's interesting like thinking about this idea of like motivation as well and, you know, why we're drawn to languages, why we – keep going with them and some of the the online ways that we are motivated now by finding by finding out more information about a language or by finding out more information about a culture that we you know get interested in um and something else that is that I think is sometimes missing maybe in the Australian language learning landscape for for all of us um sort of adult learners out there too and, and for, really for everyone, um, is that we don't often see that many, I don't think we see very many role models being put in the media who are people who speak second languages or third languages or several languages. We, we know that yes. there are lots of people who do um, and you would think that with the logic of we're kind of, we're finding out more, we're seeing more online, we're, we're hearing more about everything all of the time and getting more information than ever. And yet what hasn't increased very much in that is that is seeing more people who live in Australia or more Australians who speak more than one language. But we know that it's there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a huge, it's a huge deal for yeah. sure. This, this is, you know, it's a skill and we should be celebrating it and talking about it and showcasing it and realising what an advantage it is to have people, politicians, not just politicians, but journalists or people in academia or in whatever field having additional language skills. And I don't think it's just Australia either, Beck, too. I think we would find potentially and listeners correct us if we're wrong, but in other English-speaking countries where um bilingualism isn't kind of showcased or or celebrated that's right exactly like it, it's interesting that you bring up politics cuz um that was one that i had been thinking about earlier um cuz you know our politicians are so in the media all the time there's always something going on in ospol um coming up you know during the day in the news um but i i wonder how many people in the general public know some politicians who speak languages other than English in Australia because there's plenty. <laughs> I think people would be hard pushed to name one, perhaps except for our former Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd. He was quite public in the way that he used his Mandarin Chinese skills. Yeah. Do you remember? So he, remember he was that. Prime Minister about 10, 12 years ago, um, longer maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. So... Uh, yeah, and he had fantastic Chinese speaking skills, which he used to his his benefit. Yeah, yeah, and well, but it did it did do uh, you know quite a good uh, I guess PR job for having a second language because people did think it was impressive at the time. They really did. 
Um, and I'm sure that that in some ways, like I would love to know of somebody who who actually started learning Mandarin Chinese or started learning a second language because they thought that that was impressive. That I mean, I know that because the they time, thought K Rudd was cool. <laughs> they thought K Rudd was cool. I know that at the time, like it was, it was the kind of topic that would come in up in conversation as almost a matter of pride. You know, people were they weren't just impressed; they were proud of the fact that there was an Australian prime minister who could speak a language other than English and who could do it well um, to interact with another international partner. He certainly had some cult following in China. I remember I was there quite a few, well, a few years after his um, prime ministership had finished and, he, you know, he, people still asked me about him and talked about him and, and showed me videos about him, <laughs> him speaking Chinese and I was like, yay. <laughs> yeah. But- so, yeah, definitely an element of pride. But so, but so interesting how that can be, yeah, that can be such a, like an almost celebrity type status. I mean, of course, the Prime Minister of Australia is going to be well known, but to, to have a skill like that, that, that everybody does know about, I mean, it's, it's seen as an, an intellectually good skill, but also a, a useful one. And I, um, I did a little bit of, a little bit of research because I wanted to find out who, who are some of the other Australian politicians who we see in the media all the time who speak a second language and we may or may not know that they do speak another language? And, yeah, there, there are certainly quite a few. So um, lately we've been seeing Gladys um, Berejiklian, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but Gladys Berejiklian on the TV a lot. She is the current Premier of New South Wales um, and she is of Armenian background and speaks Armenian. Um, and in fact, she didn't speak any English at all until she was five years old. Um, Matthias Corman, um, he's yeah also somebody who's in the media quite a bit. Um, actually, grew up in Belgium, um, and English is his fourth language after German, French, and Flemish. Um, who else have we got? Tanya Plibersek. Her second language is Slovenian or Slovene, um, because her family's Slovenian. Um, and well, politician until recently, but Richard Di Natale um, speaks fluent Italian because his family's Italian. He was recently, uh, yeah, until very recently, the leader of the Greens. So there's just a few, a few examples there. But these are Australian politicians who are very much in the media a lot, um, and I'm sure there are plenty of you out there who didn't know that those people spoke a second language. For sure, and I reckon there must be an element of fear or not wanting to put that on your resume or on Wikipedia for fear that someone will trip you up or test you, you know, say, Mm, oh, yeah, Penny Wilson, she can speak Chinese, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I'd be like, oh, no, I couldn't put that because someone will stop me and I'll I'll be all so tongue-tied and I won't be able to get a word out. I just wonder Ah. if that goes through the mind of high-profile people. Well, it's funny that you – yeah, I I would not have thought about that at all. But actually you make a good point. Maybe they – you could be concerned about someone trying to test you. And tripping you up on on purpose and saying, you can't speak Greek, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. Um, Anyway, it'd be interesting (laughs) to to ask maybe politicians who do have second languages who don't publicise the fact that they can speak another language, whether they do that for on purpose or mm. or whether it's just something they've completely overlooked by accident. Yeah, true. Well, Ozpol, come out here and tell us. <laughs> we want to know what other languages you speak or, or if you've ever studied another language. Like that's the thing. I mean, I don't think, you know, speaking a language, it's a whole, that's a whole discussion topic in itself and 
Um, Richard Simcott actually really recently did a did a talk at the Polyglot Gathering um, online about that idea of when can you say that you speak a language um, and you know, so I think it, it can be contentious. People have all kinds of different thoughts on what it means to be able to speak um, and to be able to say that you speak a language. Um, but, you know, even having studied another language is, is a, you know, is something to be proud of. Um, so, yeah, Australian, yeah. it doesn't have to just be politicians. If you are somebody out there who is has a profile <laughs> and and you're out there in the media and you see people tell us let us know what other languages you you speak or what other languages you studied and why you liked them we'd love to hear it <laughs> yeah for sure and if you know of people that are in in you know a, a profile position who do talk about their other language skills um I know Adam Liao who um who I think is amazing <laughs> oh, <laughs> who yes. is a chef um his language skills have been well and truly put to the test because he has done a couple of different series, um, food travel series in different languages. He's been to Japan and spoken Japanese. He's been to China and spoken Chinese. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a great example of someone who's kind of really putting themselves out there and he's, you know, he's not not perfect, but he sounds pretty amazing to me. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. But see, perfect example of somebody who is very much out there and in the media and, and showing that there's more than just English out there <laughs> and that you can have more than yeah. just English in your life as somebody who lives in a predominantly English-speaking country. Um, and that's a, I think that's a good, it's a really good image to have for adults, for, for peers who, who might be interested in learning another language and go, actually, I could do that too. Um, and But also, of course, for the younger generations too who are very heavily influenced by what they see in the media. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that might have to be, um, I think, another topic that we that we talk about in, <laughs> in, in another episode of Language Chats. <laughs> <laughs> it's an endless line. <laughs> but we will come back to the, um, so yeah, what we, this was just to focus very much on adult uh, learners um, and we'll come back to at another point in time talking about our younger, um, our younger members of society and um, how they are impacted um, by the Australian language learning landscape. And, of course, if you have any thoughts or comments or questions or anything related to this topic or other topics, please get in touch. We are loving hearing from you. We've already got some fab comments coming through um, related to our last episode. Um, so you can get in touch via Facebook um, or Instagram and that's at languagelovers.au um, or you can jump online to languagelovers.com.au and drop us an email through um the website um and yeah we just we just love hearing from you as always exactly so thank you for listening um, and if you have enjoyed this episode please do leave us a review it will help other language lovers in australia or anywhere else to find us too um but we would as penny said we'd love to hear from you um and we hope to see you again next time thanks for listening see you soon